Ooh, that's a good song, isn't it? You're in the Father's house. I know I am. Good morning, dads. Happy Father's Day. Wave at me if you fathers, come on. We're not going to have a, we're not going to be asleep. All right, take out your uh, program that you got at the, as you came in. Theme for today is part of 1 Thessalonians 2.11, and this is Paul writing to a church he founded. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. Paul compared his treatment of these young believers in Thessalonica to the way that a father cares for his children because Paul felt responsible for their guidance and well-being. This morning we'll reflect on some of the most important responsibilities of fathers. Now, several of the verses on the outline, I do hope y'all use these, take some time during the week. Some people use these at different days of the week and look up verses, write down some notes. But I I cited several of these verses that actually refer to the relationship between God and us. Because he is our father in heaven. And some of us didn't have a good model of a father on earth. You heard Rob speaking. I know his story. I didn't. But many of you didn't. And so God is that father, you know. And we hear God tell us that he's our father. He's proud of us. But the way that God relates to his children also provides us a perfect model to copy for earthly fathers to emulate. So here's several, I'll list several things that are a father's responsibilities. The first role is to be our children's provider. God provides for us all. Look at Luke 12, verse 29. And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your father already knows your needs. In other words, like they sang, your father's in the house. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. Of course, this is out of the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain. They say virtually the same thing. This is Luke's, the Sermon on the Plain. And the theme of that portion is that we don't need to worry because our Father is aware of what we need. In a similar way, children should be able to relax and rely on their earthly fathers to supply all of the physical support that they need. 2 Corinthians 12, look at this one. After all, children don't provide for their parents. Rather, parents provide for their children. So fathers have the primary responsibility. Now, let me stop right there. I do know that many of you ladies uh, are leading single-parent families or you're providing the bulk of support in a family for, for various reasons. So what I'm going to ask you to do is to indulge me today to address the men. I'm asking, ladies. 
So I may say something, and you'll say, wait a minute, I'll do that. I'm asking you to indulge me the freedom today to speak to the men, to encourage them, and to challenge them. Is that okay? So, so if you hear, well, he minimized me. No, 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 I in no way mean to minimize you. But let me focus in because today is Father's Day, in case you haven't noticed. So fathers, and biblically speaking, there are different roles. They've changed some from biblical times, of course. There's some accommodation. But we can still say that fathers have the primary responsibility of supporting their families financially by providing essentials such as food and clothing, housing, transportation, education, and medical care. And sometimes when there's enough extra, you get a vacation. And then when I was growing up, you might get a new bicycle. It's interesting how this has changed. We were really excited if we got a new bicycle, not a, as they used to say, a secondhand one or one that was repainted and had a new seat put on it. Today, you get a $1,000 phone. Something's out of alignment there. And we must be wise in our roles as providers or we will confuse what? Wants and needs. And if we confuse wants and needs, it'll be communicated directly to our children, first off. But what will happen is it will require both parents to work demanding jobs for luxuries. Now, I'm not saying in this culture, sometimes two people have to work. We're not arguing that right now. But what I'm saying is don't pursue that just to live a higher, more lavish lifestyle. It's not worth it to just have a bigger house, newer cars, more extravagant vacations. Because two exhausted parents at home every evening is not the best environment to nurture children. And children need a meaningful connection with parents that are, who are not both stressed out more than they need a higher living standard. Now, you just think about it. You pray through it. Every child also needs emotional support and intimacy from not only his mother. It seems to come a little more natural, typically, for mothers. But he needs it as well. She needs it as well from his father, her father. A father's attention, affirmation, approval that's expressed through appropriate physical and verbal responses helps a child feel secure, competent, valuable, admirable, even attractive, and acceptable in this world. But a lack of physical and verbal affirmation from fathers, or worse, a continual flow of criticism, or even more, more extreme than that, abuse, produces a deep insecurity in a child, which is that child believing something about himself, about 
herself. Because whatever happens in the environment, you make a decision about what it means, and then it becomes part of you. And it stays with you. And it will be expressed either through discouragement, which may yield depression, and sometimes addiction of various kinds, or the other side, which unfortunately our culture praises, this drivenness, which is churn up anybody in your way to succeed in a greater way. And it's just as damaging, just as damaging. And it will stay throughout the child's life unless God's spirit heals that area. Transformation prayer helps with some of that. Fathers have great influence over the self-identity of a child. And this does include gender identity. Gender identity is not part of the genetic structure. It's learned environmentally. Confusion does occur. Some of it is just confusion during purgatory. Some of it's natural, this range of confusion. But our culture has, has attached to it as though, see, this is what you are and this is how you'll be happy. It's not true. The confusion comes when some lie is believed. A child believes a lie about himself, herself. I'm not masculine. Little girl, I'm not attractive to men. I need to be nurtured by another female. And, and it's all this confusion about where we find affection, where we find acceptance. But it's based on what you've come to believe through interactions with others, especially significant others like parents. So we don't let confusion, beliefs that aren't true, let children then dictate an irreversible decision over their lives and their gender. Why in the world would we let a child that has an imaginary friend and is waiting on Santa Claus to come determine which gender they are and do something about it that's irreversible? Stop listening to this foolishness. Continually tell your children individually that they are loved, that they are valued, that they are respected. What? You respect a two-year-old? Oh, yeah. You know, you recognize their personhood. Say how proud you are. And not because of grades or accomplishments. Not because of a certain talent or athletic ability. Just because of who they are. They bear the thumbprint of God. You know, my... Oldest grandson is now five, surprisingly. And so he's heard me continually throughout his life say, Oh, I'm so proud of you. Oh, I, I just am so pleased with you. I'm so. And his response that we had, he and his little brother last weekend, and he said, I know. <laughs> but can you understand that that's the perfect response? Because he does know that. So he's saying, well, what you're saying is not out of line. I mean, I've heard this all my life. Exactly. Exactly. Every instance, every encounter with a child, the past four days, Leanne and I have had Graham uh, and her, Graham's parents are on a vacation, um, much deserved. Uh, he's now almost 17 months old. And so... 
we, Leanne's an RN, so we do the dialysis, we do the feeding by tube, we, we put him in a brace for sleeping at night, we do all these things. Um, but those things can't be done mechanically. Because you know what, here's a little boy with some serious physical problems, but there's a, there's a little boy soul inside there. And so what's important, and Leanne is the skilled one, so she does the technical, and, and I just hold, hold down the hands and feet. But I look into his eyes, and I talk to him. And so that boy, he's, like I said, he's not even two years old, but he knows Pop Pop loves him and looks deep into his eyes. It's almost like a, I'm not a spiritualizer much, I don't think, but it's almost like a spiritual moment that this child and I are connecting. Because, you see, we don't know what his life is going to look like. And so we're doing everything we can to give a child with some issues hope for life. So, dads, put down your phone when you're with your kids. Notice them. You only have a limited number of opportunities and every one of them matters which ones don't matter Roland they all matter every encounter matters every encounter is a holy moment can you get that so fathers are you providing for your children physically and emotionally first A father is also responsible to be his child's protector. Psalm 121. The Lord keeps you from all harm, watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go, both now and forever. We we rely on God to protect our children when we can't be present. Or when we're not aware of some danger, some threat that they're encountering. So we pray regularly. You know, when they leave the house, do you pray? When you drop your kids off at school, do you pray? We pray because God's present and we can't be. Relying on God does not release us from responsibility for our part. But trusting Him prevents us from feeling overwhelmed by the challenge. Knowing God, knowing His personality, and knowing His Word, grasping the guidance of His Word, what's true, what's false, what are the guidelines, what are the moral boundaries, enable us to know when and how to intervene to shield our offspring from harm. Well, I can't protect my child from everything. No, but you sure can try. And you can certainly limit their access to damaging influences. Don't give up. We need some bold men in today's culture. And we know these potentially negative influences. I'll just summarize a little bit because you've heard it. But... We need to protect our children from media that not only exposes, but it's more, it, 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 it's more evil now. 
It's more incipient. It's, it, it's trying to indoctrinate our children into accepting things that God says are wrong. And they hit, 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 hit. And so when, when our children, we have to prevent our children from being subjected to things that are too mature for them or from being indoctrinated into values that contradict not only ours but God's. You may not be able to eliminate everything harmful from all media sources. I mean, goodness, we're, we're learning that stuff has been stuck into animated cartoons. That's something that's questionable, even of questionable morality. It's, it's, a, little, it's a little bit uh, mind-boggling, isn't it? So you have to be vigilant and alert. You have to be attentive. And when something arises or your child is exposed to something, you talk about it. You don't accept it unchallenged. Because when, you're, when you have children in your home, you have the most persuasive voice. Use it, use it, use it, use it, use it, use it. Because one day your voice won't be the most persuasive. So you reach their mind and heart now while they're open to you. You know, uh, one of the staff guys told me about a product called VidAngel. Y'all know about that? VidAngel.com. It's like at vidangel.com, I think, is how you find it. It's a subscription service. The interesting thing is that you sign up for it. Right now, they're giving away 60 days free, he said. Um, in honor of Father's Day, I think. But it actually will filter other streaming services. Is that right? Does somebody know it? So even like Netflix or something, right? This will cut out the stuff that's offensive. And I think you can dial in. So you want to protect your children in your house, look into things like this. Don't surrender. I've told y'all when we were kids, we had this thing called the cuss, the kids called it the cuss box. And it was this box and these wires and, and what it would do is it would screen out certain words and it would put in closed captioning a better word. And so my kids would laugh at it. But you know what? My children today are sensitive to certain words today and their mothers you're, you're you say but well how do they take that well they were irritated did I did anybody hear me say that they weren't irritated by it no they are irritated when you disallow them something they want to do but but eventually your interruption your intrusion will communicate your values and will confirm your concern for your child. See, they're picking that up. They're mad with you, but they're picking up how much you are willing to accept their anger, their irritation, to protect them. And you're their protector. You're not called to be their best friend. If you need their approval, that's codependence. 
That is not parenting. And it is definitely not leading a home as a father. Protecting children also may include ending friendships that are influencing them to develop habits, behaviors, interests, attitudes you don't approve them, approve of. Don't lend your kids out overnight to a home you don't support what's going on there. You say, well, but you put your kids in an embarrassing place. Yes. More than once. Yes. Judy, you remember that, don't you? My kids were little. They would get picked up. They would tell people they'd get picked My dad picked me up from my spend the night. But you know what? They would call when something was going to, you know, some cool mom was going to let everybody see, you know, the new rom-com, which wasn't appropriate for 11-year-olds. And so they, my, our, my kids would sit in the kitchen with the mom or they'd call me up and I'd come get them. Well, that was embarrassing. Yes, it was embarrassing. But ask either of them today if they would do the same thing. Because it protected their hearts and minds from all the ugliness that unfortunately people are letting pour through their houses. Don't let your child get subjected to it. Stand up for them. You determine who your children hang out with. I mean, there were times our kids went to stay with somebody and we got back this really smart aleck kid. That spend the night didn't happen again. You determine who your children hang out with. You determine where they go. You determine what they watch. And especially when and whom they date. Your children, your daughters, your sons, they don't have the right to choose who they're going to go out with or how young. Now I'm about to make everybody mad, okay? Y'all ready? Everybody ready? Y'all ready for this? I mean, our age was 16, and you might say, well, that's, not, that's too young still. But this idea of your 11 and 12-year-olds having their little boyfriend in this sexualized world we're in, I mean, everybody, I mean, let's just do a checkup here. We know that today on every movie and every primetime show, if you sort of like somebody, you sleep with them. Is that, am I missing something? That's the standard. Used to be you wouldn't even kiss them. You'd smile at them. Maybe you kissed at the, you know, at the front door. No, no. You sleep together. Then later on you decide whether you like them or not. You want your children growing up with that? What's going to happen with them? What's going to happen with them? You, we can, in this culture, raise morally pure children. But you can't if you're a coward. And you can't if you're weak. So dads, do you protect your children from harmful influences, both content and people, even if it irritates your kids? Dads, we must be our children's preparers as well. We have to enable our children to survive, but, but that's not good enough because we know God. We need to be able to live in a 
culture that's even oppositional to us and succeed, even thrive in this world because we live in God. Proverbs chapter 4. My children, listen when your father corrects you. Pay attention. Learn good judgment, for I am giving you good guidance. Don't turn away from my instructions. We have to offer direction and discipline to prepare children to live in this culture. Now, we must be sure that we direct positively. You know, being harsh, being critical, that, that's not... Um, that, that doesn't cause a child to want to obey or follow. My children, listen when your father corrects you. Pay, direct your children. What? <laughs> Proverbs 22, 6 says this. Direct your children onto the right path. And when they are older, they will not leave it. So in other words, help your child discover who he is. Discover the gifts and the strengths given to him or her by God. Give them focus time to help them grow and develop. But make sure you're, you're, that you're expressing an interest in them, not just in accomplishments or grades. See, here's the problem. You know, a lot of us guys... We, we, want our, we want our sons to be much better athletes than we were. Some of us have a hard time admitting that we were only, you know, kind of so-so. And so our poor sons have it really hard. We have to grow up past that. And we have to let these children be the people that God created, a whole person, and discover. You might have a fabulous athlete there. You might have a wonderful artist you might have someone, a child that's neither, just a child that will end up loving God with a great heart. It's a measure of us. Can we value the children we've been given? That's a measure of me. That's not a measure of my kids. Do I see the thumbprint of God in that child? And we develop our children's character. We influence them to value people over possessions. If you teach your kids that it's only name brand, top label that's worth buying, you have just enslaved them. If they have to have the most expensive of everything, the most exclusive, you have enslaved them because they will be driven all their days. But if we can teach them that, you know, we value people, not possessions, and we value honesty in every instance. We do respect authority, and we accept all people without prejudice. Your children know whether you value people who are different races, who are different economic classes. They know it. Are our children people that understand what it is to dignify a person because they possess the image of God? They can learn that very young. You want to wipe out racism? Laws and arresting and all, that's not going to do it. 
taking people off of media, that's not going to do it. But we train the children to dignify and see God in each person. That'll do it. That'll do it. We teach them to work with integrity. To, to, to not make excuses, to not blame people for failures. Accept the failures and improve and do better. But here's another thing. I'm preaching now. Don't do everything for your child. You know what? Let him or her sign up for camp. I mean, you can stand there, but let them do some talking. You know, I would have my children call restaurants, and one liked it more than the other, but the younger one liked it the most. And so, you know, it got to be our regular routine. I mean, it, we went years, I never made a reservation. She'd say, hey, Dad, you want me to call that restaurant? Yeah. What time you want to go? Okay. She'd call them up. You know, here she is. She's seven years old, eight years old. <laughs> uh, can we have a reservation at seven for four? Um, you're coming with your family? Oh, yeah, of course. She's like that today. Those of you that know my kids, that, one, that young was like that today. But let them make some reservations. Let them write some thank you notes. If they're driving, let them get their oil changed. Let them fill out college applications. Isn't that amazing? We don't let the 18-year-olds fill out their applications and then you think they're going to go off to college and do well, and you've filled out every form. <laughs> Avoid indulging. We spoil, and you don't hear that word as much today, but let them earn some of what they receive. Withhold some of it for them to earn it. Not, not so oppressive they can't possibly do it, but just hold back a little bit. Whether it be chores or a job outside the house or something, you know what I'm saying? Listen, I had to work so much at home, I would get a job, and it was interesting. I never quite understood it, because I would be praised for having a job by the time I was 15, and I didn't have to do housework on Saturday. Somehow it didn't compute to me. I'm thinking, they don't get it, because I'm getting paid, and I don't have to mop the floor. But there was some incentive to get a job, you know. We'd get permission from the labor board to work that young. Another part of preparing a child for life is by disciplining patiently. Proverbs 3.12. For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. You see that? A father corrects a child in whom he delights to not correct is not to love that's what it's saying discipline is an expression of love and concern to help children learn how to respond appropriately respectfully thoughtfully in the situations they encounter and you know what I think you should allow your children to feel the consequences of their bad decisions you know, I don't know what in the world it must be like with computers all the time. I would expect there's a lot of mamas writing a lot of homework assignments. Is that true? Or nobody will tell you? 
You're saying yes. <laughs> because they, because it used to be handwriting, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you couldn't, if your mama wrote your paper, then your teacher would go, that's not your handwriting. But now with computers, don't write your children's papers. Don't do their assignments. Well, they don't know how to do it. Well, then sit there and endure the delightful agony of writing the paper with them. Oh, Lord, one of my kids could not read Shakespeare. So we read a lot of Shakespeare. Read that word. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. What does that mean? Well, does it mean you know? One by one, phrase by phrase. Absolutely miserable. But my children can both write today. Don't do their work. Don't pay their fines. They get pulled over by an, a police officer. Well, he doesn't have a job. Well, he better get a job because he's going to be facing the judge. She's got a fine to pay. Do not pay your kids fines. Better to experience the consequences of poor decision-making when, when the consequences are minor. Because if you remove the consequences, one day the consequences will be terrible and you will have no way to help. Let them pay it. I think if they get a DUI, DWI, I mean, be sure there's some safety, but let them spend the night in jail. I, did, I said, did you hear me say, be sure they'll be saved? Did you hear that? Okay. Then let them spend the night in jail. Correction must be conducted patiently, wisely, while you're under control. If you're disciplining in anger, that's about you. That's not even about them. Because the only motivation for discipline is love. Did y'all see that? That's the only discipline. It's concerned from love. So if you're doing it because you're mad, that's about you. You need some time with the Lord to figure out. Because we never discipline in anger or out of frustration. And it shouldn't be used to, to, it should be used to punish defiance, not childish irresponsibility. Sometimes we punish the wrong thing cruelly, maybe because, because we're embarrassed. The kid forgot to study for the test. He made a zero. And we punish because we're embarrassed. Whereas we ought to say, huh, that seems to be what happens. We don't study, doesn't it? We have to be emotionally connected to children to discipline. Otherwise, rules, our rules that are enforced without a relationship will always produce rebellion. Proper discipline will actually strengthen the intimacy of the relationship. Try it. But cruelty, and when you have no relationship and you see rebellion, there's something wrong in the way you're disciplining. I mean, I got disciplined cruelly, but there was no relationship. Because you know what? There was no relationship. My dad was good with the belt. He was bad with the praise. So dads, do you direct positively and discipline patiently to prepare your children? Another important task, this one with eternal implications, is to be your child's pastor. 
Now, of the four, that's the one that just scared half of you to death. (laughs) Fathers have the responsibility and the privilege of guiding their children's spiritual growth. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2. This is the verse we began with, part of it. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. You know, dads, I think it's important to say, in my house we serve the Lord. That we don't cross some of these boundaries and barriers. You might say, I don't want that duty. I'm not qualified. I'm not a pastor. Well, you are. Do you know what the Greek word, this translated pastor, means? It's poimen. You know what it means, literally? Come on, somebody give it to me. It's not father. Shepherd, who said that? That's exactly right. It's shepherd. So, don't you have a group that you feed, lead, and tend? Well, that flock is your family, so you are indeed a pastor because you're a shepherd of a flock. And spiritual guidance is more important than any other influence you can have over your children because it directs their lives on earth, but it also determines their eternal existence in heaven. There's nothing more important that you could do. Fathers, and and, and here in parentheses, really both parents have more influence on their children's attitudes toward faith in God than anyone else. And that includes me, that includes youth pastors, children's pastors, that includes the great volunteers that we have. We have direct access to their hearts and minds, particularly when they're young. And your children are continually, you know, they're always picking up data. And they're discerning what you truly believe, what you value by what you say and what you do. So let's look look in the mirror. What are you communicating about how you view God and faith to your kids? What are you communicating? Because you're sending out signals all the time and they're reading them. Now, I'm not talking about this stern, rule-driven faith. That's not persuasive, is it? Don, y'all, y'all been exposed to that. That wasn't persuasive, was it? But it's not, it's not attractive. It's not compelling. But you know what? Authentic, practical faith that permeates your life and it influences your actions will be observed and copied by them. I'm not, I haven't been a heavy-handed parent. I didn't try to make my kids Christians. It was enough to be the child of a pastor. So I I didn't ever, you know, force them to behave in a certain way so it wouldn't embarrass me. That, that, that's a non-issue. I'm their father. I have a vocational calling, but that's not about them. So, I had to be sure that I was walking with Christ as as clearly as I could and let them catch it. You know, I never lectured my kids on tithing. 
I didn't even know that they knew that I did. We talk about giving. They saw us give. They just picked it up somehow. I don't know if they looked in my checkbook. I don't know what they did. But you know what? They know. Your kids know who you are and what you do. And they know the measure of your faith. Well, I don't know what to say to my children about spiritual matters. You have a story, don't you? Do your kids know your story? You don't have to tell the goriest details, but your children ought to know your story. They ought to know where you came from. They'll ask you some hard questions, and some of them you answer honestly, and some of them you say, that's not the best thing for you to hear right now. But let them hear how God has intervened in your life. They love you. A child desperately wants to have a a father that he or she can look up to and respect. Desperately. They'll give you every, every opportunity. They'll give you the benefit of the doubt in every instance. But tell them who you are. And you, you say, I don't know what to do. We'll begin by offering thanks at meals. Doesn't have to be long. Better, better to be short. Include your kids in prayers about important decisions or special concerns. Discuss them when certain things happen in your family or certain situations arise. Talk with them about, let's ask God, what do you think God would have us to do in this instance? Demonstrate to them how to grow in your faith by demonstrating spiritual practices. Do you have a Bible? Is it out where they can see it? Is it ever opened? Do you ever read it? Do you pray? Do you give? They know. Do you serve? You know, we had Adventure Week last week, and many of you adults served with these children. Your kids know that wasn't necessarily fun for you. You were invested. What about involvement in church? I I tell you, it's, it's heavy on my heart that it feels like in our culture that being involved in a church family to worship, to grow, is the lowest priority. It's if the sun's not out, my back doesn't hurt, we don't have a game to go to, we don't have anything else of interest to do, we'll go to church occasionally. That doesn't make any sense if this truly is the most important thing you're involved in. I'm not saying that raising children who love God is an easy assignment in our culture. It is not. But, but you know, I, I was, as I was studying, I stumbled on a beautiful verse. This is 3 John, verse 4. And they don't have it on the screen because I want you all to hear it and look it up for yourselves. I could have no greater joy than to hear that my children are following the truth. How about that? You know something about that, don't you? You have a daughter. I could have no greater joy than to hear that my children are following the truth. You know, I went to see Top Gun. Who's been to see that Top Gun? (laughs) What? 
I mean, I, it felt like the 80s, but I think, what's that woman's, that blonde-haired woman's name? She changed her hair to dark. Meg Ryan is dark-headed now. Is that what it was? Different woman. They all look alike. <laughs> but, but the key thing was they had to fly to the target, which is interesting in this crazy politically correct world. world you don't even know what nation it was anymore. Did y'all notice that? Well, who are these people? Um, and they had, I'm told, I couldn't remember the number, two minutes and 30 seconds. Is that right? To get to the target. Is that right, Chris? Three minutes. Huh? Three minutes. It took them 2.30. Okay. Get up here and finish this sermon. Okay, so they had, we'll say two and a half or three minutes. And so these guys, they, they functioned beautifully. They were great pilots, wonderful reflexes, outstanding vision. And they were... If y'all didn't notice, it was just a replay of Star Trek, actually. But, um, and they got to the target, and they bombed it, and then they were able to escape. They had, I mean, they blew up, and they wrecked, and, and some other stuff. But, but they were just cheered because they did something really wonderful for two and a half minutes. They won't make a movie about you, but they'll write your name in glory when you spend not two and a half minutes, you spend 25 years fashioning a child. And you know what? I think God will recognize it. You won't get any praise in this world except right here. But God sees it that you're less worried about yourself than you are. What can I say? How can I stimulate wholeness and faith in this little child entrusted to me? That's the hardest assignment. You want to know whether you're over the target? You're over the target in this culture. Because it is hostile on every side. But you know what, Brookwood men? You are up to it. This is an unselfish group of men. They're not a spiritualizing group of men. They're men of authentic faith. They're men who live truthfully, sacrificially. That's what I've seen with you now. I've been here 30 years. That's the nature of the men in this church. You're not much spiritualizers. But you get who God is and what faith really is. I'm really proud of you. Would you like to take a step? I'd like to give you a blessing. Ask God to help you in this task with children, with grandchildren, with neighbors' children. And if you'd like that, please stand, fathers, men. Even those that are volunteers, you may not have kids of your own, but you're willing to help others. God, you know these men, they belong to you. Some of them had only you for a father. And yet they've become the kinds of fathers that you call them and want them to be. 
God, I pray you would help each one. In the moment when we get angry, help us to have patience. In the moment that we're afraid, help us have confidence. In the moment that we're unsure, give us wisdom from you and what we should do and what we should say and help we can, how we can help direct those who we have responsibility for toward you. God, help us to not surrender to this God-forsaken culture. But let us know that he who is in us is greater than the one that's in this world and the one that's animating our culture. Give us courage and strength and boldness. And may our children walk in truth even to a greater degree than we do. And may they come to faith earlier than we have. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. Through the rest of this week, spend time reflecting on the idea that you are God's beloved. Meditate on this week's daily readings and ask God to help you experience Him as a father. You can find the daily readings on the discussion guide on the Brookwood Church app. On our next episode, we'll start a new series titled Extraordinary. We'll explore how Jesus transforms ordinary people into men and women of character and courage. To prepare for the first message, read Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and Acts chapter 4, verse 13. You can watch a video of this week's message, listen to worship, or search the message archives. Visit brookwoodchurch.org watch or download the Brookwood Church app. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you like this podcast, please leave a review so that others can discover how they can have a transformed life in Christ as well. Thanks for listening and have a great week.